I've known today's guest, Patrick McAvoy, for quite a few years now, and he is a fascinating and interesting character just in the life that he has lived. His personality is very kind of one of those larger-than-life kind of people. And you, if you see him and you meet him, you would totally get this. And I think some of it does come through in my discussion with him today. We sat one evening and uh, did a Zoom call and chatted for probably about an hour I did cut quite a bit of that out for this podcast episode, even though I find him a fascinating person to talk to. What I do want to say about this one, though, is that uh, he does have a pretty thick Irish accent. Uh, There were many times when we would have conversations, and I would literally just have to look at him and say, I have no idea what you just said. If you could subtitle a audio interview, I probably would subtitle this. In fact, the first short film that I directed with Patrick and another guy in it, they both had really thick Irish accents, and I did actually subtitle that home film, because if you're not used to the thicker accent like they have, you might have a hard time hearing, and then also the fact that we're doing this uh, over the computer, so there's that audio to contend with as well. I also want to throw one more thing out here before we get into my discussion. You might have noticed that I tend to not end my episodes like a lot of podcasts do, where I say, if you want to contact me, you can reach me on you know, Twitter, Instagram, that kind of stuff. And part of the reason for that is this podcast is released through No Budget, which has the at No Budget show, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And then, of course, I have my own personal Facebook and Instagram, which is at Milo Dennison. And I haven't really decided which one I should be throwing out there as a way of contacting me. And that's probably part of the reason why I haven't ended each episode. But having said that, if you do want to contact me about the show, let's say you've got an interesting story to tell and you want to come on as a guest, or maybe you have some feedback on it and you want to reach out to me with that, you can reach me at any of the previously mentioned ones. If you contact me through No Budget, like I said, you can reach me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It is at No Budget Show. Just, um, you know, say that it's for me, Milo, or the Diary of the Unemployed Actor podcast, and it will get to me. If you want to reach out to me directly, I only have Instagram and Facebook, uh, so you can get me at Milo Denison there. It's M-I-L-O. D-E-N-I-S-O-N, and I'm also on LinkedIn. I do not have a personal Twitter profile, so don't try to reach me through Twitter. And with that, I guess we will get to my discussion with Patrick. Enjoy. Welcome to Diary of an Unemployed Actor, uh, hosted by me, Milo Dennison. My guest today is Patrick McAvoy, a talented actor and musician residing on the Emerald Island. Do they still call it the Emerald Island? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah no, they do. Yeah, yeah. Green Emerald Isle, the diamond of the world. <laughs> Up in the North Atlantic. This is it. You know, apparently Atlantis is, is not too far from here. They're, you know, ancient Irish sacred. Atlantis gifted ones. This is the center of the universe. <laughs> All right. Well, um, 
to start off, what I like, I like to ask people, just tell me like a little bit, like what got you into acting? Like, when did you start? Well, I, I, I grew up up in the Dublin mountains and uh, I went from farming to um, building into quarry. No, from farming into quarrying. So quarrying like a, like a rock? Yeah, thing. yeah. The, the, and, oh, okay. and every aspect of it. I went from that to building. I worked in the building industry for many years, driving the escalators, and uh, went on to um, landscape gardening design. And I did that for a while. My father died in the middle of that thing. I was about four and a, four and a half years in to the landscape gardening and designing, and uh, my father died, and that sent me on a different path. I, I asked myself, what, what did I really want to do, you know? And uh, I suppose acting, uh, singing, getting the message across, writing, um, was uh, something that I uh, slowly but surely fell in love with. What was the first thing you performed in? Well, the very first, I see, I, I went to the Chancery. So for anyone listening, uh, the Chancery is kind of a, a local kind of a dive pub in Dublin and the owner of the chancery, by the way, will describe it as, as kind of a dive pub as well. The owner, the owner of the pub is a, is a wonderful human being, if ever there was one with a, a fantastic eye for light and design. And, and what a wonderful man that uh, he is to work with. What's his name again? He, he really is. <laughs> I know. I was just trying to think that the same thing. I'm trying to remember his name. Beautiful um, if ever. Uh, I'm sure we'll remember it at some point throughout this thing. Well, the funny thing is you, me, and him, we all worked on the same film um, called Lion uh, The Lion's Share. And you're, you're right, because on that film, because I was the, the DOP on it, and every time I, uh, you know, if I needed something, and he had it in the trunk of his car, it was so great, and we're talking, and he did the lighting for it, and he was, he was so, like, good at his job, and just, you're right, a, a really fantastic person, and uh, great to work with. Great to work. He really was great to work with. Well, I, mean, I need to give you props as well on that film, because there was, I remember there was a log or something like that that we were using for one of the scenes and it was too long if I remember correctly or maybe it needed some branches cut off of it and we're just like man we, you know, we need to clean this up and you were just a total pro you're just like oh no worries I'll take care of that you went to your car grabbed a chainsaw that for whatever reason you had in the back of your vehicle and uh, and were able to like chop this tree up for us I remember that yeah to set up the shop I remember the do you remember Milo the door remember the door that there was it was green. It was like this, this. This house was three hundred years old. The, the the greenery was growing in the door, and it was it was messing up the shop. We needed a door, remember? And I said, uh, "I know where there's a door. Hold on, don't do one." And I, I ran off, and I went back down. And you know, as soon as I walked into the stables where we had to set up the canteen, um, I I seen the door on the right on the second stable. And I grabbed it and I ran back up and I was like, sorry, what's your head? What's your head? Excuse me. Lift, walk and drop it into the rest. Milo, does that work? And you looked in the camera and you said, yeah, that works. <laughs> Never going to change that whole scene around to get the door out of the shop. And I got, I went and got two big long six inch screws and I bet the door, 
bend them in with a hammer into the just two screws just to hold it there yeah well that's what i'm saying like that's why you're great to work with because it, you, you know when we're just people are standing around like god i wish we could do this you know and you're just like yeah i'll make that happen and just kind of jumped on it yeah no, that, was, that was a great great time for me and everyone was so so professional yeah such good crack it was oh, that was that was that was a highlight of my life <laughs> well, <laughs> that was, that was something yeah I really yeah it was a lot yeah, of fun yeah. and uh yeah owen the director is really very what a god all right well let's stop talking about other people and get back to you so you're uh you're performing like what was uh tell me about your like what got you in front of the camera what, that first time like what was that experience like well, we were in the chancery, and and the whole thing was we we would meet up on a, I think it was a Thursday night, and we would write a script. We we, we group up, to be like four or five groups, and we we group up in a way where we had like the makings of you know a cameraman, a sound guy, a provider, a couple of actors, you know whichever whatever was available, and we'd write a script on that day. We would do a couple of rehearsals on the Friday. We'd film it on the Saturday and watch it on the Sunday. And what was that? That was the, oh, what's his name? Uh, Dublin, Dublin, Dublin City Film Club. Oh, you, you're talking about, uh, you're talking about Robert. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first thing. It was just the end of the Northsiders was the wrap. That was the night I arrived. So uh, the Northsiders, I can explain to the audience, it was a, a pilot TV series that um, mutual friend of ours, um, Robert O'Meara, uh, directed. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy that was starred in them, but um, he's deceased now. No way. What was his name? Uh, the guy that starred in the Northsiders. It was, boy, we're not doing very good with our memories right now, are we? Uh, Carl Shields was his name. Uh, yeah, so he pa- yeah he passed away uh, this last year, I think. Oh yeah, I got to know Paul Murphy. Uh, well, after that, no one loved Paul Murphy. Paul's a great. Yeah, uh, he's an old school Irish character. He's the essence essence of Dublin. <laughs> that is that is totally right. He is yeah. a very old school Irish. Like uh, he, yeah, the accent, his attitudes, he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I guess what motivated you to go down to that meeting to then, you know, to get involved in doing a performance? It was like this. When you get everything you wanted out of your life, and you have it for four or five years, chipping away at it. And, you know, you sort of happy enough with it, but there's still a bit of an empty void inside you. Uh, that's a vast empty void inside you. Hey, you're not too sure what it is or even semi-conscious of but when my father died it made me very conscious of of everything and sort of blew me world apart as i knew and uh, as time went by the dust settled and there was a lot of drinking and when a lot of drugs and uh, not not hard drugs but you know well when i say not hard drugs i'll be precise when i say uh, guinness whiskey vodka cocaine and weed would have been my thing and that was an acid and mushrooms and the odd trip <laughs> so all the good stuff yeah all yeah, the- yeah all, all that all the mind opening stuff <laughs> it all that kind of came a time where he, 
some might laugh when I say this, but uh, ego, my ego had died, you know, a death, and there was nothing left. And that's when I started to hear the soul speak, because the ego, there was just, there was, there was very little left in it, you know, self-esteem, a lot of other aspects that had left me sort of in a neutral state of nowhere, going nowhere, coming from nowhere, and it was a stagnant thing for a long time. It couldn't get me head out of my ears. Age is a great thing to deny to many, you know, growing old and, 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 and uh, letting, letting stuff sink in and letting it upsettle and looking at things as it is and not as what you think it should be or, you know, what it, yeah, any, 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 any misconception of anything other than the truth can be mind-blowing. It's like the bubble, your bubble's burst. <laughs> what are you going to fucking do now, lad? <laughs> you know, kind of the conversation I had myself. Anyways, and what do I want to do? It became a question to me and that I, I, I looked at more than I ever looked at me life. What do you want to do with yourself? And, uh, and that's it. And, and that's what it is. <laughs> What lights you up inside? What, what's gonna What's gonna set you a fire and make you feel more alive and connected with the universe? Is like for me, it's a session or doing a take. Uh, you know, you do you do it and you do another take and you do six takes, you do eight takes, and on the eight or nine take, you feel something and it's magic. And you feel like you nailed it. And you look in the camera and you did. No, and the proof is the camera doesn't lie. And there's things like that. You know, there's gentle progressions in life. With the guitar as well. Like, you know, when you're singing a song from the bottom of your heart and you're ad-libbing and you're, you're, in a, you're in a kind of a flow state and you're lucky enough to have anywhere between 40 and 200 people listening to you. And you're singing from the bottom of your soul and you're tapped into that at that time. Because I've had seven or eight points of Guinness and a couple of spliffs. And a line of speed off Bob and the jacks when you were in there. And you're feeling pretty good. And you drop into that flow state. And there comes a point where you realize that you have everybody's attention in the room, bar staff, and anyone that's there. Once they can hear you, you have them by the bollocks. The boy, the proverbial bollocks. And yet, like, the, you've 90 I was trying to break it down and figure it out. If someone ever asked me this question, and yet I mean, it feels like you have ninety six percent of their attention of all the shit that's going on in their lives, you've forgotten about that, and they're listening to you now, and you have given them escapism from themselves and whatever's fucking ailing them because they're absorbed in something lighter and different, you know, or a different state of mind or a nice way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Or an energy in a vibe that sets you on fire. Is you know we can tap into that energy. We're all condensed energy. Yeah, that's no, that's a great answer to, to that question because it, it is. There's there, there's definitely an overlap within musicians and actors and just tapping into that creative energy and just that's the way I describe acting is when you're in character and you're in that mindset that's you're just there and it's there's something different to it 
And from the way you just described being on stage and playing music, I, I think there's a similar feeling of that kind of escape from the world and just being in that moment. When you're jumping out of yourself, you're getting away from yourself. It's a rest from fucking the dreary you that's in your head, stuck in your head, you know? People say, you know, I've heard people say, no, he's an awful fucker. I says, he is an awful fucker, but that poor bastard has to go home and live in his own head. He can't get away from that. He's stuck in that forever. I did the Terry McMahon acting. And that changed my life and how I see the world. It's not so much an acting class. It's life coaching. And it's an understanding of how the hook that is television, the hook that is people, that, you know, people that are older, that people that are in their, let's say, 60s or 70s, they've been watching Coronation Street for 56 years or five, whatever it is as well. And the hook, and the psychology behind the hook. And I remember saying to Terry, Terry, what you were saying to me is, I was five years old. And manipulate me mother, me father. Now, and I, I knew that if they sensed an air of insincerity in my plea, I didn't get what I want. My objective was gone. This is Terry's thing. It's all about your objective, what you want, what you have to do to get what you want, how do you have to act. We're acting. The second we open our eyes in the morning, we're acting. What do I want? And that that's simplified acting for me. Terry McMahon is a fucking genius. He's a beautiful, magical, ginger-haired fucking bastard. <laughs> I'm envious of him in a way. And I, Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm 1% envious of him, 99% proud of him. Fascinating person. Uh, I did an interview with him for uh, No Budget, the No Budget uh, YouTube channel. And uh, in talking to him, he's got so much to say and he's so passionate about what he has to say. And it was interesting. You don't see it on the on the recording, but even after we stopped the interview, we stood there and, and talked for the longest time. And he is honest about everything. And it's it's a very unique trait, especially in the entertainment industry where people are so guarded about what they say because of their image. And Terry is a very honest person. Yeah, he's, un he's unbelievably honest with himself. You know, you know the, the lies that we tell ourselves. Terry, Terry, Terry like, I, I cringed a bit in the first, first couple of, first two or three days. Like, he made me see the lion, wretched bastard that I was, you know. <laughs> in, in a way, in, I, I don't mean that I, that I was, but what I mean, I, I was lying to myself. And you know, did Terry's glasses shockingly broke it down for me and, and made things, made it easier to breathe. It made it easier to get up in the morning. That's fascinating. So you got, so most people do acting classes and workshops to become better performers. But what I'm hearing is you got kind of more out of that just about living a bit of a better life. Is that correct? Like how to see the world. How to look at things, how to look at people, how to look at television and media. Like I stopped looking at television a long, long time ago. Um, now, I know I, I could, it'd be fair to say, I'd be strung out on social media in a way. But uh, it's you know a, a constant stream of information and, and what, where you're going, what you're doing. I suppose science and technology is tapping into that as well, you know. I seen it. I seen a clip on telly the other day, and the man was talking about his Instagram and, and the, the thing and the selection and whatever you look at. 
So you know what I'm saying? All I got to look at now is stock car racing. It is now. No. And that's the way it's like recommended for you. For me, when I look at that, when I look at YouTube, what's recommended for me is Billy Connolly and all the great comedians and stuff that I'm interested in that I look at, that I listen to, that I'm feeding on. You know, uh, Billy Connolly was one of the greatest comedians ever alive. Is he? He's still alive, isn't he? Is, he, or... he is. God bless him. Yeah, okay, I thought so. I know he's getting up there in years, but he's he's still kicking around. He's, no, he's not even only still kicking around, man. He's still rocking it. He's off the stage now so much, but he's still got injuries. He's touring around the world. He's still rocking. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, he did a he did a fascinating documentary where he uh, rode a motorcycle, a three wheeled motorcycle, uh, across the United States and just kind of interviewed and talked to people and stuff and, he did a he did a stretch naked on it as well <laughs> did you see that? yeah 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 i watched the whole series yeah it was great well, uh, yeah he's uh, hilarious he couldn't go over he couldn't go over 50 miles an hour the balls slapped <laughs> <laughs> yeah deadly what a what a man like this i my i i've uh recently my my whole look so I'm curious about that. You mentioned that. So uh, to our audience, to describe Patrick is he's kind of he's a big guy, a uh, long white beard, uh, long hair, and a perfect cast member for uh, Vikings or Game of Thrones. And we'll get into that stuff later. But to to describe you, that's that's kind of that was kind of been your look for a very long time. And you just changed that look by shaving. And so I'm curious how you think that's going to impact your performances and getting cast. Because I know a lot of you did get cast quite often based upon having that look. Well, the look, I was saying to my girlfriend, my beautiful young girlfriend uh, recently, uh, looking at pictures from a recent walk up around, uh, it was up in Ross Trevor, anyway, and we were up in a place that was like a, most beautiful place, breathtaking. Um, it was the like the line the witch in the wardrobe, Narnia. It had a kind of a Narnia thing. Boy, going through it over the old forest, and then uh, walk through it. With that, where, where was I going with that? I was just asking about your look, you and the fact that you changed your look, and if you think that's oh, yeah. gonna. It was we were looking at pictures of that, and um, we're looking at. I was looking at myself in the mirror. As I was looking at the pictures, I was like, I looked like a mad bastard just jumped out from under a bush. <laughs> been living there or come out of a cave. I was like, oh no. But I look at myself now, like my head looks streamlined and I still have the, the, the goatee, you know, down to the down to my my, my titties, my nipple. <laughs> and the long hair. But uh, I'm looking more wizardy and wise, wiser and about 15 years younger <laughs> than I was beforehand. So let's talk about, because you, you've done a bunch of extra work on Game of Thrones and Vikings. So how, how did you find out about those opportunities and get involved in that? Well, Vikings, was, when Vikings came, they wanted, you know, 500. Well, they wanted a couple of thousand hairy people to choose from 
So how did you get involved in uh, in the productions? Like, where did you hear about the auditions? Was it like a posting somewhere? Well, it was it was everywhere. It was all over Facebook. It was all over Instagram. It was all over pretty much any social media you can think of. And so then you you kind of uh, you went down to the audition, and what was that like? Did they have you say anything, or was it mostly just let's have a look at you and see if you have the right look? Uh, well, it was the open costume was the thing. You went and did the open costume. And uh, whenever it was on, um, they took a photograph and you told them what you could do. And you either got a call or you didn't. It was a great experience, I have to say. You know, your you're inner child, your age, your 10-year-old, but that 10-year-old boy inside you, all of a sudden is a man and he's dressed up and he's given all the gear, looking the part, given the weapons to fucking pull it off, and he's let loose. What's, what's a day like on the set? Like, what time you, did you have to get there in the morning? And... How long were you there? The last season I did was season six of uh, Vikings. And I was living in Blackrock on the south side of Dublin. I had to walk up to uh, Larvin Jewel Carriage in Blackrock. So when I, I, they didn't give us much warning. Can you do this? And I was like, yeah. It's like an email where to go and are you traveling, are you driving, you know? And uh, I had to walk up to Larvin Jewel Carriage. So it took me, I think, what was it? 45 minutes. I think it took me to walk from my house, where I was staying tonight, to Slogan Joe Carter. So the night before, I walked it and timed how long it took me to the, to the bus stop. And uh, then I worked out how early I had to get up and all that. But uh, they, they kind of, they'll work with you, you know. And if, you, if, you, if you were to guess, if you were to get a featured role, or if you're lucky enough to get a, even to say a word or two, they would probably send it back to you and pick you up. So amazing, amazing difference. Like if you're, if your background, yeah, make sure you're at the bus stop on time. But if we're going to give you a line, they, yeah, it's really important to make sure they, so they'll <laughs> pick you up. That's funny. Were they long days? Like, uh, like what time did you like have to be there in the morning and how long did they keep you into the evening? Well. It was normally, I'd be up at three, be there for four, half hour, um, be on set for maybe five or half hour, sign in, get breakfast, or get costume, depending on where the queue is going, and um, suit up, build up, and uh, then probably have more breakfast. <laughs> a lot of eating went on. <laughs> and um, then uh, after the set, then hang around the set for a while and set it up. Then action, then reset, action, reset, action, reset, action, reset, action, reset, action. And after the next thing, same thing. And blah, blah, blah. And that's got to be your day. And then you mightn't get out of it till you could be getting home at nine o'clock. You could be getting home at three o'clock in the morning. Wow, long days. Did you have any rough, because you're filming in Ireland, which is, uh, as I know, having lived there, not the best place for weather. How, how did that affect? Did you have days where the weather was just so bad you guys couldn't shoot or they needed a scene to look a certain way? Well, in the film industry, they're very, very versatile. They can make it rain. They can make it snow. They can make it windy. They can make it sunny. You know, um, the only difference between them all is 
but they're going to make it sunny at the indoors. Good old damp Ireland. Good day. Yeah. You know, um, they can make anything happen, you know. They have hangers. You could fly a 747 into some of the hangers and land it and do a handbrake or the back of a of that big, you know. It's pretty impressive mm. what they have. Got it, it, like when I went out there in season three, it was tiny. Season three of Vikings? Well, when I say tiny, I mean, I thought it was huge. But when I went back out for season four, it was twice the size. And another building bigger than the buildings and all the buildings that was on it. You know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. Cat again. And then all, all it was just it's amazing. Absolutely and they have a river going through it and they have lakes in it, and, you know, so they can fill them. You, you worked on Game of Thrones as well. Was there much of a difference between the two since yeah, they had such different budgets? Like, was there a huge difference in, in like the food and how they treated the eggs there? Actually? Well, the sets were bigger. When I say bigger, I mean bigger. And they were, they were everywhere. They had like the Queen's Road in Belfast. They had um, both sides of the road taken now from the best part of all. Um, they have every castle taken, half a castle built on to it. They've built castles, just the whole set. Um, they were chasing cameramen. It was went very, very, very anal retentive on the, any anyone t- taking pictures. You had camera, we had a, a stickers put over the lens of our camera, our phone. Come on, come on. Oh really? So that they so you guys couldn't take pictures yeah. and post anything. No, yeah, no, I, I missed a lot of. I just may I, I never seen myself look <laughs> the way I looked in Game of Thrones as the dresses whirling. It was pretty amazing. But uh, not a picture could yeah. I take? <laughs> the Viking there was that there was, that didn't apply at all. You know, that was the difference there. Yeah, I noticed that because I, I I follow you on Instagram, so I saw some of your pictures that you posted from Vikings. Yeah, let me put up one or two. <laughs> There's something I want to say though about my experience on Vikings is I, there was I met this fella on the Vikings. The story is like this fella befriended me, full of tattoos, bald head, big long beard, yeah, party balls, bollocks. I don't know, I don't know why he did it, right? I ended up like being friends with him for a while. And then then I noticed he just he seemed like a cool enough guy at the time. And uh, I didn't get it, you know, I was coming from a fucking I was coming from a traumatized fucking place at that time. I suppose I was I was I was a bit fragile. But uh Long and the short of it was, I, I was going, I had a bit of trouble at home as well. And I, I, I mentioned it to him. And he said to me, he said, my man has a place down in, just down the road from me. Belgar, sorry, Belgar, that's where I was. And then he, uh, he said, you can have it, you know. So I went down and I ended up staying there. And just, just for the weekend sometimes or for a couple of days. Just to get my head together, you know, to get out of the house. Because there was, there was a bit of hassle in the house, with the house and around the house. 
telling he ended up telling everybody that I I I, I didn't pay his mother the rent that I owed her. And uh, he, I, I remember him asking me of all the girls here. There was like two or three. Jesus, there was four hundred girls there. Which one? He, said, he asked me which one would you go for yourself? You know, and I told him which one, and uh, and I told him why. And it wasn't a week later he was with her, you know, okay. type of guy. And uh, he since went on like to make up stories, like he ruined my experience in in, in a lot of ways in Viking. Was he had me, he had me tarnished as a bad man because I didn't pay his mother the rent. Number one, number two. I don't know the half of what else he did. I suppose the way I see the end game and looking at it is if I had anything to say at home, I could say this. You don't make your own candle burn any brighter by blowing out the one beside you. Now that's an interesting saying. I've never heard yeah, that. Well that's that's the one that stuck with that for me. Yeah, because that's what he he, he did and you know you know, like, I'm a big fella, and I, like, I came from Tala and the mountains, and I know how to fight. Like, I fucking loved it when I was younger, and because I was very good at it, <laughs> <laughs> and I was big, and like, I never lost a fight in my life until there was nine of them when I was drinking for four days, you know. That was that was the first fight I lost, and um, I could pull him apart like a cooked turkey. And I met him on the side on on Vikings a couple of times, and I was I was afraid, I was afraid that if I started and he got cheeky with me, I I would publicly rip him apart like a cooked turkey, you know. And he got mm-hmm. away with a lot of fucking bad stuff, you know. And I feel sorry for him in a way, but I would love for everybody to know that what he said wasn't true because a lot of people out there still believe, I think, what he said. And it kind of hurts me because I met some amazing people on Vikings. Just, every one of them, Barfield Ringley, was a fucking pleasure to me, <laughs> you know. And he, mm-hmm. he kind of tarnished all that. And oh, that's too bad. It is too bad. But I, f- I figure I'm going to make it right somehow. I thought maybe saying this to you might make it right somehow. Well, hopefully. I mean, I know based on my personal experience of working with you numerous times on films and just knowing you that, uh, you know, I, I, I would speak very highly of you as, as being a, like you know an honorable and trustworthy person uh, by the way uh comb sexton Colm Sexton. The, that's the best angel yes. we speak of uh-huh. so anyone listening if you're looking for a brilliant lighting guy in dublin that's the guy to talk this is guy can do anything and he's such a pleasure he's wise he's wise beyond his years he's like the yoda of us all <laughs> I was gonna say, should we wrap up or? Yeah, I don't mind. Do you want to wrap up? Do you want to talk about something else? I don't mind. 
I think that's good. That's that's almost an hour, man. I don't know how long people will want to listen to us. Well, they're going to edit the book out, so I was thinking. Well, I, that's more work for me then. That's more. <laughs> that's more, the longer we record. That's more. That's the longer editing. Happy day. Are you happy with that? I'm happy with that. Absolutely, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for anyone listening, where would they find you? What's uh, what's like your Instagram if they wanted to follow you on Instagram? Oh, my, my Instagram is Pat MCV three six nine or six nine three. I'm not sure which. Either one will get you. Um, <laughs> I'll throw it. I'll throw a link into the show notes for anyone listening. To all those out there, I hope you enjoyed the show. My talk with Pat McAvoy. Let me know what you think by leaving me a review on whatever podcast player it is that you're getting this from, Apple Podcasts or whatever. And with that, thanks and have a good day. Boy, all thanks very much for listening to us.